0: Today's final episode of Socially Democratic for 2021 is presented to you by Dunstreet. Dunstreet is a progressive campaign agency that specialises in community organising. We partner with businesses, organisations, unions and social democratic parties across the globe to develop community organising strategies and train your leaders uh, or your organisers to build power from within your community and in 2021 with what's left of it and a couple of days, but even next year as well, uh, Dunstreet will continue to work with folks that want to share their stories, inspire others, uh, take action and organize communities for change. To find out how you can partner with Dunstreet, hit us up at Dunstreet.com.au. Today's podcast is also presented to you by Morris Blackburn lawyers who knew that using a different colored pen could make a will invalid or that removing some staples means the document is no longer legally recognized. Morris Blackburn's expert lawyers know all the important tips and make creating a will super easy. Simply complete the online form and they'll arrange a time to discuss your needs, prepare your will and store it at no extra cost. Search Morris Blackburn Wills today to get started on your affordable lawyer-written will. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast at every Friday that dives into the progressive campaign issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And this is our, as I said, it's our final episode for 2021. Um, And we wrap up each year. We always finish off with our state victorian state politics uh year in a review which i always do with the wonderful harriet shing uh, who is the labor mp for the eastern region of victoria in the upper house of the uh, state parliament um, and if anyone's listened to our previous episodes we kind of do a review but then we always get really off topic and end up talking about just a whole bunch of random stuff so you know i'm recording this now we actually haven't done the episode she's coming in in about 15 minutes um I know that we're going to get off topic... ...and I'm going to have to ask the question about the miniature donkeys right off the bat... ...because I made the mistake of doing that at the end last year. And I won't make that mistake again. Okay, anyway, so that's Harriet looking forward to seeing Harriet again. Um she's actually coming into the Down Street studio, so that's going to be great. Um don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you like the show, let us know, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Spotify. And apparently Spotify is adding a five-star review system to their app at the end of 2021, so be sure to give us a five-star review after you've done listening to today's episode if that feature has already been made available, if it hasn't then maybe do it in a couple of weeks time. Uh, and for (coughs) for all the updates follow dunstreet on facebook twitter instagram and linkedin we're not doing a show next week which is the week between christmas and new year but we will be back obviously for uh, a new season of uh, socially democratic in the first week of 2022 sounds weird saying that Uh, but anyway let's get today to today's uh, episode with Harriet Shing. Taping this one on a Tuesday in uh, Melbourne, um, and it's the final episode of Social Democratic for two thousand and twenty-one. Hello, Harry. It's Stephen here. I hope you're keeping well. I, it's the twenty-first of December.
1: I am keeping well. I thought when you were going to say we're taping this here um, that you were going to say on Super Eight, and it was <laughs> going to end up with crackly, amazing film quality. But that's obviously not where you were going. Anyway, lovely to see you in three dimensions. Yeah.
0: It's good to have you back. And I'm glad that we've kept up this tradition of uh, wrapping up the year. When with... do
1: you think something becomes a tradition?
0: Um, I reckon, th- I think three times.
1: Three. So we're now at a tradition? Yeah. Can we is... call ourselves iconic yet yeah. for doing this? Yeah. yeah all right. Do you know what
0: really annoys me mm. is um, when you visit um, like a sporting club or something and you'll see that they've got like some sort of annual shield – And it was in 86, 87 and 88. And then that's it. And then it. it
1: stopped why did it start i know uh, sometimes i wonder because i do see a lot of regional and rural sporting associations and clubs and it's often because of very very specific niche disputes around the sort of shield that should be used yeah whereby you'll then go from various kind of backgrounds so you might start with your mahogany finish yeah and then move into a, a black butt or a red gum yeah. um, closely followed by something in oak yeah. and then go back to some other wood that someone else wanted so it's that, you know, these are the mysteries. This is the tapestry.
0: And I... I Am committed to seeing things through. People who know me will know that. Um, in 1989. Oh, by the way, anyone who's um, never listened to this episode before will know that we're not going to talk about state politics. No, no, there's
1: nothing in this of any real substantive value, no. other than people who want to eavesdrop. Yeah, on a I have a lot of questions
0: to ask you that are not related <laughs> to politics. I do have questions that that Rebecca, our producer, has written excellent questions that will review the year. But anyway, um,
1: I've never been known really to answer a question um, in either a direct fashion or in um at all yeah without significant preambles
0: yep and i uh, there's no clock i don't know how long this <laughs> we're,
1: not, we're not great at self-regulation <laughs> no are we? anyway yeah so in 1989
0: yes uh i wanted a skateboard for my christmas it was back to the future 2 had just come out
1: oh i remember it well It's
0: back to the future is i my wanted f- the jacket is my favorite you wanted the skateboard <laughs> i wanted the skateboard back to the future is my favorite film still is um i'm gonna hopefully come back to that yes yes um and uh uh i just really i really went the hard yards with mum and dad about you know dropping hints everywhere about i want a skateboard so christmas morning i wake up and i sort of look under the tree and there's no sort of long shaped kind of present and i'm like what's going on here and mum and dad got up and said oh your christmas present is in the garage Downstairs. So I'm going, you don't need to put a skateboard in the garage. Like, how big is this?
1: Unless it's a car. Yeah, well
0: <laughs> eighty-nine. <laughs> Unless what someone
1: got you your own truck. I must have
0: been fourteen. So yeah, I wasn't getting a car at fourteen. Ran downstairs to find a table tennis table there with a bow on it. That was my uh Christmas present. We had been on holiday that winter and there was I was we're staying in a like a um, like a condominium, you know, pool, you know, thing. As
1: was the fashion at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: This is the 80s. Bought out of my brain. And I was just playing table tennis like Forrest Gump yeah. all day. And I would yeah. grab any stranger that walks past and put the bat in their hand and say, you, let's go. Best of 21. And I would just play like everyone. The
1: pandemic and people talking to each other in supermarkets. <laughs> you yes. just to make eye contact with anyone across from the lettuces just for human interaction. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I got a table tennis table right. for Christmas. So... You know, I make lemonade out of lemons, and so I decided that that year we would you have made a,
1: tables out of tennis.
0: Yeah, we would have a Christmas cup, and my family. There's you know a number of us, and we had this big tournament. And I, um, I, I lost to my brother Jared in the final. And the next year we did it again and again. And eventually I went and got a trophy. And did
1: I you did you have to do terry toweling shorts and matching singlets because it's all starting to sound a bit. Um, royal Tenenbaums, I reckon, in yeah. terms of the aesthetic, yeah, yeah. which probably explains a little bit about where you've ended up formative years-wise. I don't
0: know. Why would you think I like um, Wes Anderson. I do not shows? know why you
1: would like Wes Anderson. Can we do it? Can you just, like, can you break the fourth wall at some point? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> just...
0: Um, yeah, well, anyway, so... Yep. uh Fast forward to 2021. Yes. The... Thirty off 30th, I, I've missed two because twice I was overseas for yes. Christmas and uh, it didn't happen. Yes. But we, that tournament continues to this day.
1: And do you still hold tight the anguish and disappointment of not having a skateboard?
0: I've kind of let it go. You have let it go. And That's it's been good. replaced by the fact that I've never won the Frank Donnelly Senior Memorial Trophy and it just pisses me off greatly. Do you have a shield? We have a trophy.
1: But do you have a shield?
0: No. A tro- it's a.
1: Does it have plates on it?
0: Um, you can, it's got everyone's names on oh, it. Oh, it does have people's Yeah. Okay, well that's good. Yeah. Um,
1: so it's portable and you can take it around. I think you should aim for something like a standard that you can actually just carry in as the <laughs> defender of last year's <laughs> time. I right. think you need to up the ante because if you can't yeah. go for ridiculous sports props yeah. to demonstrate prestige, yeah. then where's your sense of healthy competition?
0: It's interesting you said about the Richie Tennant bum sort of garb, the feeler kind of thing. Because I actually thought about this year really coming with some kind of get up.
1: You need a you need an um, you need an Owen Wilson style kind of arrangement that means a terry toweling headband mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. matching singlet and tiny terry toweling shorts, mm-hmm. and then those um, like those really flat sand shoes that provide absolutely no arch support. The like volleys. They were even pre the volley. Right. Not as cool as a volley. <laughs> Man, volleys were so cool. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, I love them better than your KT26, which is what I grew up with. Yeah, I had the KT26, and I coveted volleys for a really long time. I also coveted Doc Martens, and I um, when I got my <laughs> see, look at us, yeah. laundry <laughs> walk with I us. I haven't thought about that to Walk with future. us, dear <laughs> I'm listeners, back to that. <laughs> and thus we wandered off track, yeah. never to be heard of again. Yeah. I, um, I really, really wanted a pair of docs. And so when I got my first job at the ice creamery in Main Street, Lilydale, I had a scooping arm like no other back in those days. Um, my pact with my parents was, because docks were really expensive, mm-hmm. that if I bought one, they would buy the other. Mm-hmm. So I think they were about 100 bucks at the time. And so I saved up and saved up and got this pair of docks, these brown Dock Martins that I wore as school shoes, but then also recreationally because you want to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, multitask um, I wore them until year 12 and the school was always saying, Harriet, they're not regulation shoes. You need to wear regulation shoes. And I would say, well, no, I've got a problem with my arches. <laughs> <laughs> I need to wear these chalk Martins." Right. To which the answer was always, okay, that's fine, but you're going to need to bring in a note. And this, this went on from year 7 through to year 12 because my feet were you know, tiny and not going to get much bigger over the course of secondary school. Yeah. And I remember a teacher coming up to me at Year 12 speech night saying, we're never going to get that note from you about your shoes, are we? I did air punch. That's brilliant. I was like Judd Nelson at the end of The Breakfast Club. Are
0: Doc Martens the greatest emblem of the Gen X generation?
1: Yeah, they're pretty... I, I didn't wear them with quite that level of cool. Mine, were, w- mine w- seemed more medicinal. W- how than high about, No, no, no. They were a str-
0: shoe. Just a straight-up shoe. I
1: think they, they were the cool. eight-ups or ten-ups. Yeah, I, I really tried to make them cool. I, I didn't quite carry it off, though. You know how kids had Stussy Pads? Yep. And Nike Airs? Yeah. I, I was never that cool.
0: I was never going to – I didn't even bother asking mum and dad if they would buy me a pair of Air Jordans just because they no, were like, not in your life.
1: My brother got rolled for his Air Jordans. At Moorlbark Station. That was a thing. Yeah, and we, well, we've since removed the level crossing at Moorlbark. <laughs> and I've got to say, there was a sense of perverse delight about the fact that the platform where my beautiful big brother lost his prize Air Jordans is now gone forever, mm. along with the pain.
0: There we go. See, so we've talked about politics he's now. Picked we've to, we picked up his Well, that's right. Crossings. we got to level crossing. Okay. Yeah, infrastructure. Okay. Back to the future.
1: Yes. So, it's your favourite film. Mm. Why?
0: 1985, I'm 10. I remember I was down in Melbourne from country, Victoria, in Warrigal, and I was down with my mum and my sister and it was a Sunday night and I think it was a school night the next day so we had to hightail back to Warrigal. But my sister could somehow convince mum, let's go see a movie. She's much older than me. Um, and we went and saw Back to the Future and I was so excited about this. One, going to see a film on a school night on a Sunday night was huge. Two, in Melbourne, big city of lights. It is um, big city. Amazing. I, it was warm. I remember the weather was warm. Um, and I just walked out of that cinema thinking this was arguably the greatest piece of culture i ever seen. Why did you see
1: Back to the Future 2 before seeing Back to the no,
0: Future? I, I saw, I, no, I saw Back to the Future in 85 when it got released. That's
1: a key piece of information yes. that was missing uh, no, when and started No, because
0: Back to the Future 2 came out in 1989. Right. I wanted a skateboard because that was in the hoverboard. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, no, I know. And yeah. it also, there was the jacket, which had the automatically adjusting sleeves. Yeah. And because I'm not, I have no sense of spatial awareness and no catch <laughs> reflex, I know nothing about sport and, and you know, um, much to the amusement of everyone who knows me, I'm not really good at trying to even pretend. Um, so this, the skateboard, I mean, I respected the hoverboard, Yeah. but not nearly as much as I coveted that jacket.
0: The, the size adjusting fit.
1: The size adjusting fit.
0: What about the shoes, the night oh. shoes, the, the what, you know, the automatic?
1: Yes. Well, that's right. So they were not dissimilar to the um, Reebok pump, which, as you'll recall, had that small, <laughs> small really low-tech yeah. <laughs> bubble arrangement at the top that yeah. enabled you to push air into the shoe yeah. um, for probably not a snugger fit, but just a massive placebo effect and yeah. some bragging rights with your friends. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We used to go into the sports store in Warrigal and just pump the shoe up and the guy would chase us out of the store.
1: Hooligans. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous, yeah. right?
0: So I'm hoping Touchwood to go uh, Main or Leave is um, hopefully going to be in Los Angeles this January. Actually, or just
1: January. watching videos on, January. on YouTube? <laughs> no, literally. <laughs> right. Uh,
0: and I've uh, I've found all the locations, the filming locations of Back to the Future. Uh, that I want to go check out. So
1: they'll almost be contemporary with the period that Back to the Future was capturing.
0: His house, his mum's house, George McFly's house. Yeah, but
1: when was was Back to the Future 2 set? Oh,
0: 2015. You're late. I (laughs) know.
1: You're only six years late.
0: No flying cars.
1: Well, that's outrageous, isn't it? What a
0: letdown that was. Do you
1: know, it's interesting, isn't it? Everyone's ideas of the future, apart from like Leonardo da Vinci, who was just, you know, obviously the you know, crowd pleaser of everyone and got everything right. Mm. Everyone's missed it entirely in terms of, like, Soylent Green. We're yep. not there yet. It's not people. No. Um, there's a whole lot of things around Planet of the Apes.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that, I mean, as far as I'm aware, hasn't, hasn't happened. Not to my knowledge. Although no.
0: Donald Trump was a bit apish.
1: Was he? I don't think he, a bit simian. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I actually think that that does a disservice to apes. Probably, Although know. I did read the other day, apparently there is a war going on between apes and chimpanzees over territory that's rapidly disappearing due to deforestation. So there is in fact, I mean, well, dear listener, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe in fact it is coming true. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, uh, the, the screen, the yeah. TV screens, yep. well, multiple screens, we have that.
1: We do have that. And, and there was, um, uh, well, Aldous Huxley had some stuff come true. Brave New World has sort of talked about linking up global villages and tech and the way that people connect.
0: Yep. I was trying to think what else was in Back to the Future 2 that sort of came to fruition.
1: Oh, no, the rehydration of the food.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep.
1: We don't quite have that, where a pizza is the size of a 20 cent piece and it blows up to be a family size.
0: No, but we kind of have like, um, remember there was faxes in all of the rooms, we kind of have sort of, we're moved past faxes now, but. Um, <laughs>
1: <say> <laughs> the God. oldie timey writing machiney. <laughs> yeah, the faxes and, and modems as well. I yeah. So I've recently, again, like, let's just take it back to politics for a minute. Um, so I've become the parliamentary secretary for digital government. And one of the things that we're talking about is the way in which AI and machine learning is changing the way that services are delivered with all of these other knock-on consequences and i made a joke the other day about palm pilots and blackberries and in fact everyone laughed so i was right there in my zone yep. around talks about you know everything from the commodore 64 through to you know through to the dot matrix printer
0: um we still give um, one of our mates shit for um buying an I river do you remember them
1: Oh, were they like an iPod? Yeah, it was and like they a were. They were the yes. Can I make a confession? <laughs>
0: you bought one. Yeah, I had yeah.
1: one.
0: I had the um, the data cassette. The um, what were they called? The mini discs. Mini
1: discs. Mini disc. Now that went the way of the Segway, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I and
0: I went. I invested heavily in that. I thought that was. Yeah. I remember I I bought it in Akihabara in Tokyo, and I thought I was like way ahead of the game. Like Blu-ray,
1: you can think yeah. of all these things that. You laser know, discs. Laser discs. We had such a, we've had such a crossroads, haven't we, where things can either go on to be amazing, like Google Glass. Do you remember that? People walking around with the, yep. the weird spectacle with the arms sticking out of it like they were Terminator. Yeah. And initially these people were onto it like, you know, this is an insignia of my membership of Silicon Valley. Yeah. But nobody else thought it was cool at all and they died really quickly.
0: Yeah. I was trying to think what else is kind of... The segue.
1: Yeah. Somebody, somebody on Twitter superimposed my head onto a Segway driver the other day um, in an attempt to actually just be really lovely. <laughs> it's, it's Twitter, you know, it is what it is. You've got to take any, anything that's not actually about being a, yeah. a virulent cesspit is something, you, you know, you've just yeah. got to take and an embrace. Um, until I pointed out that, you know, it was a bit cruel to put me on a Segway when, in fact, the inventor of the Segway died after reversing his Segway off a cliff so, you know, I took that as perhaps a little bit of a subtext and politicians, like the where Mi- we fit in all of this.
0: The Miami police, are they still kicking around in Segways.
1: Well, I think that they had originally trialled it. I think there were a few utilities companies that trialled it. Yep. There was a whole lot of early interest in the segway around post-delivery and around checking metres and things like that. Um, but they never really pitched it into one key target market mm. and I think that was the great failure. Because everyone gets around on scooters or bikes or yeah, the the, the, skate, know, the skateboards
0: that are like remote
1: hoverboards can, for example.
0: Yeah, well you're kind of like getting a bit like hoverboards yeah. now, aren't we? Yeah. That sort of, and the ones that play music as you go.
1: Oh, I couldn't do that. I actually really wanted a boombox to be able to carry around on my shoulder for some time. When I was little, I actually I, I do recall getting a cardboard box and walking around with the with the stereo on. I would have called it, it was ghetto all, blaster. Yeah, I don't know. That probably reflects our different demographics, doesn't it? See, like chimps and apes, these are our lines. Yeah, yeah.
0: Look, there can't be too much difference between growing up in Lilydale and growing up in Warragul, really.
1: Well, what is it? Three one four O oh, was mine. You're three, you were three eight two O oh, because I lived in Warragul for a time. Very good. Yeah, Warracool, as I like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, yeah, it's, it's 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 as a town, it's just pretty much joined up to Druin now which is pretty much in the process of joining up to Pakenham. it is absolutely crazy the the population growth and expansion through the southeast is it's nuts. unbelievable and
0: everyone talks about the northwest as being this big growth corridor but the southeast of metropolitan melbourne is equally just as
1: huge yeah. it's huge and particularly because of lockdown and the and the restrictions and people being able to work remotely um, at least where you know they're not required on site because that's been opened up so much now around attitudes changing, um, being able to commute once or twice a week down to Melbourne and having better train services and better roads is something that has opened it up to a whole lot of people around housing affordability, um, particularly for people for whom Pakenham is now, you know, they're outpriced. Mm. We're talking about 700000 you know, for a relatively straightforward build. Um, Warrigal's not far off it, and so it's pushing out to Mowi and back to Terrelgan um, around is, what those estate developments look like too.
0: Which is nuts because there is that whole big estate that's been built around Warrigal at the moment. Um, I had to go back to um, Warrigal um, for a funeral uh, last week and I took one of my schoolmates back to – and he hadn't been in Warrigal for years. His family's moved out of there. Uh, he was, his brain was exploding at the change in the town and even the last sort of four or five years since he's been.
1: Yeah. When I was there, when I was living there, you could see every week – the top of a hill being lopped off um, and terraced to be made into into residential housing. And, and this has thrown up a number of really interesting challenges for agriculture as well because it's prime agricultural land. It's this mm. really rich organic soil. And, um, it's God's soil. It is. It's amazing. Um, anyone with black thumbs should give it, give it a go in West Gippsland because, you, you know, you won't yeah. come off second best. But um, it's been a real challenge because farmers are essentially being pushed further and further... South or north um, into the valley is again a challenge because they are already established lots there. Um, but it's a it's a big consideration around what we do to manage our population growth on the one hand and infrastructure that needs to sit around that, mm. um, and how we get our food because it's a you know it's a a food bowl. It's one of our highest producing parts of the state as far as particularly you know beef and dairy and and veg are concerned.
0: Mm. Uh, I don't want to bury the lead because I did in last year's podcast because I asked you th- this question last, and I'm going to now, that we've already talked probably for about an hour. But how are the miniature <laughs> donkeys going? Oh,
1: I w- I'm so glad that you raised that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> Completely unsolicited. So let it, for the record, yep. I haven't pushed you into doing this, <laughs> um, which is. <laughs> <Yeah>. It literally <laughs> is my first question. So we've now gotten on to the yeah, first question um, of the interview. Cool. Yeah. Um, so they're amazing, and um, I've got to say um, they're, they're testing my patients very sorely as toddlers. So they're, they're two now, mm-hmm. um, and I erected tiny little fences about just about knee high.
0: These miniature <laughs> <they mentioned> donkeys.
1: <laughs> the miniature donkey. You don't need a lot to dissuade a miniature donkey until the donkey really decides that it wants something, and so in order to Um, actually carve out a piece of garden to grow some veggies in and and you know maybe have some flowers that wouldn't be trashed and eaten like you know acdc in a hotel room i i put up this fencing um so click and collect i had (laughs) dozens and dozens and dozens of these interlocking fence panels delivered and it was all great until um Not that long ago when I looked out, and I've called it Doncatraz, which is basically a way of preventing the donkeys from actually getting out or in Mm. to the one spot, this tiny little island that I want to keep for myself in what is otherwise a really large space for them to gallop and frolic and do what they do. I looked out from my computer screen a couple of days ago onto the garden and I looked and watched as one of my small long-eared sons, Sam, wandered over to Doncatraz, looked up at me because (laughs) he can see me watching him and uh, then just pushed one of the fence panels over, sauntered into the garden bed and started eating things. And because I was at my computer and couldn't leave, I was forced to see out of the corner of my eye in my peripheral vision this adorable beast trash everything that i've worked so hard towards and it's um the strawberries haven't been touched yet but i tell you what there's a lot of fortification going on so we're now in a full-blown battle of wits and i'd like to think that if that's not testing my mettle and making me into a a better politician to just stick at what is otherwise a pretty impossible task then i can't think of really anything else that's going to improve me in that way
0: i would imagine that whilst they might may lack stature they would be strong beasts though right
1: um yes not so so much like george
0: gregan like
1: not quite but
0: man power to rate ratio
1: yeah absolutely um i was thinking less george gregan and more mr miyagi oh so you know that immovable kind of force yeah when they don't want to do something they they're just not going to do it and correspondingly if they've got their mindset on destroying something they're going to okay you just got to roll with it yeah yeah, so my own tiny little horticultural pandemic is occurring, <laughs> probably right now as I'm talking to you. So I'll probably get home to a, a wasteland.
0: Have you considered um, um, I don't say renting, but you know, adjusting? Yeah, leasing them out for like nativity scenes at local oh, Catholic primary schools. I have
1: <laughs> actually been contacted by a number of people who want to borrow the donkeys, and it's really strange. Before any major religious festival. I don't even know how my numbers gotten out there. <laughs> it almost seems to have been circulated how by would people know
0: from the, the faith based do- communities docus. around
1: Victoria. Well, I've had calls from um, from the from the west, so um, from Geelong, right up through to Melton, right down through Cranbourne, and then now out to Lakes Entrance. That's from people saying to me, um, <laughs> one guy started recently by saying. Listen, I'm a Liberal voter, (laughs) but I'm wondering what you're doing with your donkeys on Christmas Eve and whether um, perhaps you might bring them for a nativity scene. They would only be required to amble around. (laughs) At at which point I say, firstly, it's not about how you vote. Secondly, how is it that you think that my donkeys are going to get something out of this arrangement? Because if I go to them and say, hey you're being asked to appear somewhere, their natural response to me is going to be, well, what's in it for us? Exactly. If you don't give me something that makes it a worthwhile trip for them, yep. then it's just not going to happen. Yep. And that tends to scare people off.
0: I'm not, yeah. donkeys. The, the donkeys would say, I don't want some sort of half-assed bit role in this.
1: Don't give me a key ring at yeah. the end of it all or yeah. a certificate. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm working up to being able to take them around to... To kinders and aged care retirement facilities, like that, you can you can just sit down and they'll just come up like these enormous, weird, hilarious, funny dogs, and they'll push you and not hard, but they'll you know they're curious and smart yeah. and amazing.
0: Easter as well, actually, because Jesus yeah, yeah, wrote it's, a, it's, Jesus rode a donkey into um, Jerusalem. Jesus rode a
1: donkey. Mary rode a donkey. Um, donkeys are so around Anzac Day. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, um, donkeys as beasts of burden and animals of war, and like yeah. I've, I'm really on a winner here. You really are, <laughs> except for the fact that they except for the fact that they're destroying the garden. But we've got horses down the back, and um, the donkeys. I tell you what, if I mean they they take a set to people, so they will either like you or be indifferent. There's not much that can change that. Yeah. and so every morning the horses will look very excitedly to the donkeys to see when their little mates are going to come down and play yeah. and every morning the donkeys get out and amble down almost within reach of saying hello to the horses and then just go nah <laughs>
0: <off>. attitude <laughs> the attitude nice. small
1: but feisty
0: okay very yeah. good all right i'm gonna ask you questions. question kick that off absolutely yeah. let's get okay, into great. it covid that happened this year yeah,
1: well, It was still happening yeah and it's still happening yeah
0: um you personally thinking uh when the Hogmanay, The Bells Strike 12, and we're now in 2021. I asked this of, um, Harry, of, uh, of uh, Annika Wells and uh, Josh Burns in our federal recap. In your mind, did you sort of think, because a lot of people were saying, oh, I'm glad 2020 is out of the way. That was a disaster because of COVID and stuff. And I just don't think that the, the virus sticks to the Christian calendar of dates and that we were still going to have a challenge going into 2021 did you what were your what were your thoughts going into 2021? Well I
1: think we all hoped that there would be um, a bookmark that we could put at the end of 2020 and that things would actually turn a corner and as you might remember back in the the mists of time that was about a year ago we we had actually loosened restrictions Mm. and so the border with New South Wales for example was open and we did have the opportunity to catch up with family and friends and so there was a Um, at least a sense of anticipation that we would be seeing the end of um, the the pandemic as we knew it. Um, And so with that sense of optimism um, comes a sense of disbelief when that doesn't come to pass. And I think that our previous experience, you know, anyone who'd who'd not been around for the 1914 Spanish flu pandemic um, would not have appreciated just how just how hard it is and how taxing it is to have things backslide mm. um, as as a, a virus evolves um, and mutates. And, and I think that everyone was really hoping, particularly after the lockdowns and particularly after restrictions and, and all of the dismay and grief and anger and frustration that came with that, that there would be an end point. And I think we pegged that to the calendar. Yeah. Um, but again, when it came to New Year's Eve, um, people were being warned that they needed to come back home to Victoria um, so as not to be stuck uh, in New South Wales, given that case numbers were were jumping around again. And we see, as at today's date, we've got over 3,000 cases a day in in New South Wales. Um, We've got um, over 100 cases a day in South Australia. Queensland is also staring down some pretty significant growth in numbers Um, in Victoria we're we're steadily climbing in our numbers um, at about 1200 but um, you look to what's happening internationally Um, the the Netherlands is about to go into a a snap two-week lockdown we've got a curfew in Ireland Uh, the US and New York in particular um, is sending salutary warnings to everywhere it possibly can around what's happening now as far as not just restrictions and not just case numbers but health systems that are really straining under the weight of um, uh, the increased demand, but also the backlog of things like elective surgery um, and things like screenings and tests that are so important for general health and wellbeing. Um, And we're yet to see the rollout of um, all of the shots that are required to maximise um, protection against Omicron in particular. And again, for the most vulnerable In our communities it's particularly hard we're relying on everyone to do the right thing for people who are immunocompromised or immunosuppressed for children um, for um, for people who um, who don't have that natural capacity through the vaccination program to get the level of protection that they need um, to do the right thing and and that's where again it's it's been a really fraught um, 12 months particularly around the way that Certain parts of the debate have been um, held captive by very small but very vocal parts of the population mm. and that's done some real damage, I think, in the way that um, we as a community have been able to come together and, and work on constructive solutions rather than division and protests and misinformation, most importantly.
0: What do you think the key learnings are from, for the, from a government standpoint? going through the experience of 2021 because it was it was different to 2020 um and i noticed that there was and we had the premier on a couple of weeks ago and he's, he's talked a bit about it as well but i want to get your thoughts on it um the constant adjustment by the government to work out well what is the core purpose of our actions what are we trying to achieve at this moment in time because you know at the start of 2021 we didn't have a delta variant i don't think um by the and it in the first instance we were really focusing on just trying to break the back of it but then that kind of changed in the second half of the year. So what, what what are the lessons that you think the government's taken out of it? And then how do we take those lessons into 2022 with this Omicron um, variant spreading?
1: I think one of the, the lessons that has been learned is that there's no one single solution to the issues at play. So um, I think the first and correct starting point was the precautionary principle around public health advice. Um, that was a really necessary part of using... Um, An evidence-based approach through epidemiological advice, um, through um, sharing research and information through the international experience to understand uh, what was necessary to – or what was available to stop the spread in the first instance um, from – taking hold through international arrivals or through transmission in a a community setting. Um, And that's where hotel quarantine, um, in the absence of the Commonwealth having dedicated facilities, which it's now actually stepping up to deliver, including at Mickalham, that we needed to make do with what we had. Um, And this is where I think that when we go back to the pandemic planning requirements and the the plan that the Commonwealth had that it needed to act on, um, that languished it gathered gathered Mm. dust Mm. Um, with the benefit of hindsight we would have actually had a national framework and had a national plan and had um, the pieces in place that could address pandemic management and response in a number of different ways and we saw I think in just the most just the most devastating of ways from the aged care outbreaks um, and the failures of communication that are currently the subject of uh, an inquiry through to uh, the way in which the Ruby Princess landing and docking and, and the lack of information being exchanged with border force and uh, New South Wales health officials uh, through to the way in which interstate boundaries and borders were managed, which the Victorian ombudsman has talked about recently, that we need to get better at sharing information. we need to get better at understanding who has responsibility for what. and this is where I you know I am still like so many others really critical of the Commonwealth. Uh, and the the rollout that some people have called a strollout of the vaccine, mm. um, this this whole idea that it's not a race, I mean, that's something that has really... Um, it's, it's not just been an embarrassment, it's been a shame um, mm. to see that we started out in such a strong position because of our geography, mm. because of our, our capacity to actually limit um, the influx of people and therefore transmission of COVID, that, um, that we've ended up with a situation where... We then sat on our hands um, as a country because we didn't have enough vaccine ordered. We didn't have um, uh, we didn't have anything settled around local manufacture. Um, we didn't diversify the offering that we were looking for. Um, and there's a lot to learn in that too. How do we make sure that we've got the right um, uh, biomedical investment and the the Moderna and um, mRNA? Um, manufacture here in Victoria. is It's such an important part of that development. Mickleham and the quarantine facility will be really important as well. But we need to get the vaccines out and we need to make sure that people are getting their booster and we've changed the timeframes there. Um, so I think it's about being dexterous and about being able to, um, to evolve with the way in which the virus moves and the strains of the virus move um, and adapt and change. And it's also about social licence. Um, I think that there are limits to what you can order people to do if there's not buy-in from the community around wanting to do the right thing. And that's where, again, the, the personal connections that people make with the people that they love, um, the people that they know, the people that they work with, who are relying on us all to do the right thing are the, the things that make a difference. They're the things that mean that people check in using their QR codes or wear masks in, um, in specific higher risk settings or, um, or make sure that they're, they're having a, a rapid antigen test, which lots of people are doing, lots of families are doing for Christmas this year simply because... You know, um, grandparents in particular are at really high risk, particularly in settings with children and young yeah. children who, as we know, um, can transmit the Omicron variant um, very, very quickly and we see that from the outbreaks in schools.
0: It's interesting actually anecdotally just noticing people's behaviour in the days leading up to Christmas. Just um, <laughs> I saw a, um, a, a thing on the um, B- Batuta Advocate um, um
1: A fine publication. Yeah,
0: very funny um, post of a guy in full PPE equipment, the whole thing, and it's um, this guy's um, taking all precautions before he gets ready to go overseas. And I went, no, that's me. Um, But just talking to sort of family and friends who we'd we'd, um, organised maybe some sort of catch-up for like an old-school reunion or whatever, and we've all gone, let's just not do that. Like, if we all want to see our actual family at Christmas, let's just kind of lay low. Um, watching people change their behaviours and prioritising certain moments in the calendar to do because of the concern about the, the current uptick in um, virus um, spread is just is good to see. I think that people are starting to make those adjustments really, um, but also at the same time we want to see some leadership from government, in particular federal government, um, pushing out this need to. I think sure, I mean, I, you know, neither us are some health experts, but. Like, if if getting vaccinations... we we'll leave that to
1: the people on social media. Yes, yeah, hey, yeah, exactly, expertise. right? Yep. But
0: if if what we learnt from sort of the second half of the year was we're going to vaccinate our way out of the most recent um, lockdown, that surely getting a booster shot is the next step. And it's not even, maybe not even calling it a booster, calling it, It's the third shot. It is the third shot, If you want f- to right. get fully vaccinated, you need to get the third shot. And, like, Morrison is just, once again, just goes missing on this stuff time and time again. I just, this guy is just a shit leader.
1: Well, I mean, there's a few things in that. I, I think it's 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 almost expected that the Prime Minister will be AWOL when it comes to difficult policy decisions and discussion. Um, it's almost expected that he will capitalise on the daggy dad persona that he's cultivated really carefully since since becoming PM. Um, and it's almost to be expected that he will dismiss any criticism um with a, a pretty significant and, and palpable degree of contempt mm. um, and that that actually passes muster in the main in terms of the way in which it's reported and everyone rolls their eyes and sort of moves on and one of the great um, one of the great concerns I think that arises from that is that there's a lack of accountability um, that if you're able to just um, you know play a daggy dad card and, and dismiss something with a grab and continue to hammer home strange phrases like rays of light and beams of hope and, you know, um, shots of positivity or whatever it is that the, you know, the turn of phrase might be on it, on any given day, um, then people actually not only roll their eyes at what you say when you're being daggy and not only dismiss pretty readily what it is that you might not do as a leader, but you become white noise, mm. which means then that it falls to your opponent to fill that space and to be a viable alternative leader. And I think that's the challenge for Labor at a federal level, is being able to stand for something that amounts to a better alternative and something that will unstick voters from a preparedness to roll with the devil they know. Um, We haven't yet, I think, come to the point where people are being uh, meaningfully impacted by federal government decisions in a way that I think we will. and that's where people's minds will begin to change, despite what they may read in the papers or hear um, on, on the radio. It's then about saying, well, hold on a second, my my grandmother can't get her booster, or my neighbour can't get his booster, or my child's crèche has got an outbreak and I'm not getting the support that I need, um, and I'm not in a position to be able to go overseas to see my dying relatives. Hmm. These are the sorts of things that, that will prompt people I think to reassess what sort of leadership has been coming from Canberra Um, but at the moment I think I think we're not there yet I think that Scott Morrison has done an extraordinary job of um, of being um, as accountable as a handful of smoke
0: I do wonder about uh, how his leadership has gone down in Western Sydney
1: do you think that he actually thinks about that in terms of what the numbers look like for him though
0: yeah, I think, I think that he knows his pathway to retaining, um, perhaps the White House, to retaining um, <laughs> um, government. If only. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is through um, Western Sydney and a uh, swag of seats in Queensland.
1: Yeah, I think that, again, he knows well the short memories that people have and until and unless that rage is galvanised into people changing their vote. It's pretty easy for someone to come along with big teeth and a pastel collar and say, here's your new insert name of thing here. Um, We've seen time after time these examples of no accountability, decision-making on the fly, um, questionable decision-making around merit um, and the disproportionate divide between... um, uh, coalition held seats on the one hand and not on the other and, you know, this is something which I think has has become a um, a bit of an albatross for, for this government. But, again, until it affects people personally, these things remain at large as concepts and ideas and because I think people in the main think that politicians, that we're all liars, that we're all cheats, that we're all um, completely devoid of any integrity, so therefore it, it doesn't actually hit where it counts, which is at the ballot box.
0: Well, uh, we'll see in um, at some point in time in the near future, I guess.
1: Well, it's going to have to be the near future, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and again, timing will be everything. And um, a target is um, scheduled, I think, to give some further advice and, and uh, to make decisions toward the end of January um, around what further advice on vaccination rollouts um, looks like. Um, meanwhile, the states are grappling with their own challenges and the Prime Minister has to oversee all of it in a way that to to his end, in retaining his office um, demonstrates um, that he's got the the leadership chops for it, but in the meantime he's got all these other issues, you know, the the challenges around um, sexual harassment violence against women um, allegations of corruption um, issues with the integrity of members of his front bench, so internally he's got a lot of work to do there too Uh, so I think it's a question of how well he will be able to manage those issues, manage his caucus, manage changes around policy, um, turning points on things like climate change and energy policy and the, the tensions that exist there, particularly within the coalition itself, um, and calls from the National Party and, and rural members of the Liberal Party um, as compared with those in, you know, uh, in the metropolitan areas. And I think also, um, I think it's something that is calling for a reset around what modern conservative politics actually stands for. What is it proactively mm. rather than a reactive, you know, saying of nay to any progressive ideas?
0: <laughs> we could d- dive into that even more. But I, I know, I, right? I, We've only got I six know, hours for this podcast. I do want to yeah. ask you questions. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to actually review a year in politics when it's been dominated by one particular issue, which is COVID. Um, so going back and actually trying to find in-state politics... Things that sort of jumped out as uh, issues or, or moments to discuss actually is kind of difficult to get cut through. But here's some of the ones that I did yeah. find, starting in February, where the Parliament passed, and this feels like it was years ago now, uh, the Parliament, the State Parliament passed the banning of gay uh, conversion therapy. Um, you yourself gave an incredible. We talked about this when you were on the show last, probably the middle of the year. A incredibly uh, courageous, passionate, but articulate speech in the parliament on i do
1: a lot of public crying about this (laughs) well i talked about the equal opportunity act just in the last sitting week and did the same thing i mean yeah it's um it's emotional stuff though well it's about saying it's it's these these conversion and suppression practices because that's what they are it's about suppressing who somebody is in the name of religion they're so damaging and to be able to actually give voice to that pain um, that's held by so many people who can't talk about it, who won't talk about it, they're mm. traumatized by it, and to say that this is actually really important to to ban because governments need to send message of messages of not only support to those people who've been injured, including those who aren't here anymore because they've they've killed themselves, mm. um, but also to say what. What it means to, what it means to engender equality within the statute book, and that's a really, um, it's a really thorny issue when you're dealing with um, often very antiquated ideas. Um, we again um, just dealt with the Equal Opportunity Act amendments, which will come up as a clash against the federal um, freedom of religion, freedom mm. of religion, a lot of inverted commas yeah. there, um, bill, um, and what that looks like to. Um, to enable at least as far as the feds are concerned ongoing capacity to discriminate against lgbtiqa plus folk um, in employment for example mm. um, i think as as victorians we've come a long way in not only walking the talk but putting resources and support behind vulnerable community members but also um, being consistently there to show up and you know, by way of contrast, the, the, the coalition here in Victoria, um, they've talked a lot about being progressive. Matthew Guy's talked, um, I would say, probably uncharitably ad nauseum about positivity. Um, but when it comes to it, their voting record just says time and time again that they're not actually prepared to stand for what they say they believe mm. in. I'm
0: and, you shape. know,
1: no, well, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. And this is where, again, to, back to my earlier point, I think... The modern Liberal Party, conservative um, politics, is at a crossroads. I think it's lost. And I think that um, there's a lot of soul-searching going on. You can see it um, within what's reported um, about internal party matters, Um, this old guard versus the newer desire to to reflect um, better what is happening in communities. And I think that that's that's something which ultimately um, results in People coming to parliament, for example, and saying, well, you know, for, for the purposes of being able to discriminate against or not hire or fire somebody who's LGBTIQA+, um, we don't think there's a problem. Everyone's doing the right thing already. Um, and what about freedom of religion? Mm. And so people will say, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of, you know, I, I'm not homophobic, but. Mm. And as I said when I spoke, there's always a but with the Liberal Party. They make these great statements, same with the the National Party, um, that make these amazing statements. And if you take them at face value as campaign slogans or as lofty promises, then they sound great until you actually put them to the test and the voting record speaks for itself. Matthew Guy didn't even turn up to the vote uh, on the Equal Opportunity Amendment Bill. I didn't know that. He didn't turn up. His Shadow Minister for Equality, um, uh, who was also the Shadow Minister for Mental Health, didn't turn up and neither did the Deputy Leader, David Southwick. So when it came to the Upper House, um, again, the Coalition opposed it. Um, and you see all these people who, who love to march at Pride and love to stand up and talk about their, you know, their rainbow credentials. And the fact is that when the work gets hard or involves people needing to say to their stakeholders, this is where I'm going to go on this because it's actually about you know, things that are important that need to be beyond politics, beyond partisan politics, which is, again, what Matthew Guy said mm. publicly on this issue. Um, when you see that they vote against it, you can see that their words actually count for nothing. Mm.
0: We'll come back to them in a moment.
1: <laughs> see what's happened here. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. No. And thus it became dark outside exactly. and the two continued to talk. Yeah. Uh,
0: in March, uh, the Premier had a, had a literal fall. Um, slipping yeah. uh, and seriously hurting his back. Um, that was an interesting moment for government because obviously um, um, the Deputy Premier James Wynne had to step up and take on the acting role. And obviously, it's kind of like in a sporting team, you lose one of your best players, you've got to make some adjustments. Um, but it was, I, I felt that the government showed its depth that it battered deep. Sorry, I keep on using sporting helmets No, I understand
1: what you mean on that one. I I think I've I've used it myself before.
0: Right, Um, which is, I think, a testament to, um, you know, the the broader team that you guys have in government that, you know, you can make those adjustments. And no, no, not besmirching the Premier, like, you just get rid of this guy and all of a sudden things are great. Um, But it showed that, you know, you guys could step up and continue to work through it at a moment in time when, you know, the state was going through a continuation of this COVID crisis. Um, and I just thought that um, that it was a remarkable uh, achievement. What were your reflections on that moment when you first found out that uh, Daniel had hurt himself and you weren't sure how long he was going to be out for and how, how that would impact on you guys as a corpus? Yeah,
1: well, firstly, um, I was really worried um, and I consider Daniel a really good friend um, as as well as the fact that he's my boss um, and um, I know that he was looking forward to announcing the Yurok Truth and Justice Commission that day, um, which James um, ended up doing. Um, To know that he was, in fact, so seriously injured um, was one thing. Um, To know that he was getting such great care, um, particularly in the environment of of a pandemic, um, to have such amazing um, response from healthcare workers, from the paramedics, from, from those who provided him with, you know, immediate treatment um, was bizarrely and ironically testament to the work of, you know, of um, numerous health ministers, himself included. Mm. Um, but I think that one of the things that I was um, not just dismayed about but really angry about was the fact that it, 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 it galvanised this tinfoil hat conspiracy lightning rod for, for people, including people in the State Parliament. Um, as you'll recall, there was a there was a press release issued um, by someone, um, I think, rather desperate to, to hold on to relevance and um, perhaps a majority of more than a handful of votes, um, who put these questions um, that, that amounted to almost a McCarthyist-style interrogation of what it was that the Premier had been doing. And if you think about that alongside the... the the simmering cesspit of QAnon and these bizarre conspiracy theories about, you know, lizard people and, um, you know, and 5G chips, Um, you can see how it was that that worked its way into a narrative and Mm. and the rumour mill went into overdrive and people were looking, actively looking, for these bizarre plots um, to uncover. Um, And it, it, it... the argument that was run um, by people in certain quarters of the state opposition, along with parts of the media, uh, and I don't think that this is journalism. I just think that it's, um, it's, it's running these bizarre narratives um, to pass for content, of saying, well, if you've got nothing to hide, then just answer the questions. Yeah. And <laughs> as, as far as I'm concerned, that's actually not how the rule of law works. It's not how the parliament should function. It's not any measure of integrity by the people who are asking those questions. Um, the the guy fractured his spine. You know, we're we're not talking about something that 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 happened whereby. Um, Uh, Troy McClure from The Simpsons rocks up to court with, you know, a fluffy (laughs) neck brace on um, and and seeks to get out of something. We're we're talking about fractured vertebrae. We're talking about serious injury. And it it beggars belief um, that these were the lowest common denominator approaches and tactics used by people simply to gain a momentary sugar hit in mainstream media. Uh, and the fact that that then tur- it turned into these rumors. I was hearing these rumors from people um, who I had previously considered to be relatively level-headed, saying, "Oh, Harry, I think you should know that yeah. that people people are in fact saying that you know uh, Daniel is in fact a shape-shifting lizard." I mean, they weren't saying that, but you know, things that, that were just as outlandish. Um, so, you know, you might want to get onto that. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, it was insane. What what pissed me off actually was. Uh, the, ...that we were... ...that there were Liberal MPs... ...who are, uh, you know... ...Democratically elected members... ...of a, what I would regard as... ...a mainstream centre-right political party... ...that adheres to basic governance... ...and uh, Liberal Democratic norms... Um, ...weaponising this conspiracy theory... ...this QAnon crazy bullshit... Um, ...at press conferences... ...you know, standing up in front of the... ...then the fourth estate, right... Uh, and saying these things and then them sort of taking the story along i, I texted one of the journalists who i really respect who asked a question about um the ambulance or did daniel how did you know how did daniel get to the, the hospital or whatever and i said oh, you're not for real are you and he, they called me back straight away went oh, what do you mean i said oh mate come on this is bullshit this is all bullshit. You shouldn't even you shouldn't even be giving this any airtime.
1: But this is the climate that we're in. And again, when you look at what's happened to incite dissent based on nothing more tenuous than a rumor, yeah. um, this is what has been fomented, That people um, see as their right and their entitlement in the name of you know truth and freedom and justice. Um, the the ability to terrorize people of you know, in a way that is deeply personal, is absolutely scandalous and has little, if any, basis in truth. And when you think about the environment that preceded that, that was created by the Premier standing up for over 120 days in a row, to do press conferences on really intricate detail, to work alongside the health minister and the chief health officer and the chief commander and various experts to explain directly to Victorians what the detail of the pandemic response was. You can then also see that perhaps that um, that loss of control around the narrative was almost like a slingshot that mm. had to come back to um, to some sort of centre as far as conjecture and hypotheses was concerned and, and that that's in fact what happened. And, and just to pick up on your earlier description of... of the coalition, in terms of centre-right um, adherence of democracy, you you just have to look at the Facebook accounts, the social media accounts of some of the um, some of the members of the coalition, particularly in the upper house, and you can see that they firstly get to say whatever they want. Mm. Um, secondly, it often constitutes, in my mind, and you know this is my opinion. Um, hate speech or vilification—that it incites violence, that it is completely irresponsible, and that it, it pays lip service to the idea of public service. And I'm, I'm all for rigor. I'm all for um, really extensive debate and discussion that's based in fact and based in reality. But I think it's not only highly irresponsible; it's actually damaging mm. to to then go and fling something into the social media ether without any sense of, um, of responsibility and then to say that that's just freedom of expression. And you see the, the true measure of a leader is the fact that they won't pull people up on that, mm. that Matthew Guy, when he's been faced time and time again with examples of this sort of, um, this sort of appalling online behaviour, just says, well, this, this person's a colourful character or I will have to speak to them again. And there's never actually any demonstration of accountability which means that the person who is intended, who wants to be the leader, who wants to lead the state, doesn't actually have any track record of having a spine. He's weak.
0: And, I mean, the thing that astounded me to the next, and I might say it's a highlight because it was a terrible thing because someone almost um, could have been seriously injured, but then Tim Smith crashing his car. um, the, the, The way that that was handled by Matthew Guy was... I thought was bizarre because I think in the end, Matthew Guy had to go down and see Tim Smith at his...
1: At Bo Morris, I yeah, think he drove down to see him. Yeah, from
0: Templestowe, wherever Matt Guy lives, um, which I think is extraordinary. I would have got on the phone to Tim Smith, I was the leader, and I said, you get your ass to my house in the next hour. I don't care how the hell you get here. I know you, haven't, you, haven't, you haven't, Clearly, I haven't got your licence anymore because so you'd lost that because you're drunk drunken fool, but you get your ass to my house in the next hour was your career is on the line but
1: what makes you think that didn't happen and this is where again it's that whole idea of these these brittle egos um, and people who i think fall into the trap when they get into politics of thinking that it's about them and therefore the sense of entitlement that comes with um with accountability meaning that they just go no, whatever
0: well, I know, but then he just—I mean, just dragged it out for you know however many days when it. Well, it was just...
1: fascinating. It was fascinating to see, um, to see that level of very clear tension between the two of them, and then Josh Frydenberg sitting on the side <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, yeah. I, I find it really—I um, find a lot of politics really hard to understand. Right? It's 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 something that doesn't necessarily in every way come naturally to me. I I watched that all unfold, um, and I was. I was kind of astounded, but then I was simultaneously um, a bit resigned to the fact that it was it was never actually going to be a straight mayor culpa. Mm. That, in fact, when Tim Smith stood up in front of the cameras, and, you know, it props to him for actually standing in front of a press pack. I, yeah. I, I respect that because I think that that sort of thing, it, you know, you are... Required to be visible as a public figure, and you are required to, in fact, be accountable. Um, And so, you know, a tick for that one.
0: Meanwhile, Matt (laughs) Gubbins' own private office is background. That's right. That's right. Well, there is that. To the journalists asking questions.
1: But then also um, the fact that um, the fact that Smith, as I recall, made a couple of comments about saying, if I get to stay in public life, I'll never touch it. I'll never touch a drop of alcohol again as long as I'm in public life. Um, and that to me sort of missed the point um, because um, that plus and I think he said at the time I'm not going to play the mental health card which was I actually found pretty disgraceful Mm -hmm. and I think he probably should have worked up his talking points a little better than that but um, when I was listening to the way in which he was talking to the press pack it was about it felt to me like it was about being called to the principal's office for an action that he'd been busted for and that's to my mind not how politics should work um, I, you know a, again I, I respect him for showing up but I think that that's about where it went off a cliff
0: yeah he had not even considered the repercussions of his actions he' didn't, there was no reflection there was and he said I guess he said I think he said the word reflection a lot but he actually wasn't reflecting on yeah his actions.
1: that's right and he you know he talked about mitigating factors and he was clearly um, he was clearly really upset but was he upset because he'd been caught? Was he upset because there were consequences? Was he upset because of perhaps not getting the level of support that he was looking for um, internally? Um, it's hard to know. I, yeah, none of us will ever know. But um, I think that it all feeds back to the fact that I think people think that politicians are terrible anyway. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean as far as highlighting the examples of people who do, do the right thing? Um, and this is again, I think a measure of integrity of individuals who are prepared to, to stand up and say, you know what, I've I've stuffed up. Mm. Um, and he, he started, he did actually say that, you know, it was a terrible error. Um, and that was that was really important. Um, and it's really important, particularly for those in the community who've been affected by drink driving, by drug and drink alcohol affected mm. drivers. Road trauma is, it's a massive issue. Um, so I think that was an important thing for him to have said as a public figure. But I think... There was a whole lot else in it that um, that really pulled away from his opportunity to, to be seen for his contrition but also then to perhaps um, springboard that into something else. I think there's always an opportunity to take something awful and to make it into something better.
0: And I think the standard he had set in his... Um, uh, role as a politician accusing everyone else whenever they'd slipped up for whatever reasons. So I was saying you should get fired you should get sacked for this you yes know, you looked the wrong way you should get sacked you tweeted this you should get sacked constantly calling on people to get sacked yes and then it's back on him and now he's not prepared to live by the standards that he has set for others yeah I think, I think.
1: you do have to you do have to be careful about the rocks that you fling um I have yeah I have a a great deal of difficulty with the way in which he's personalised politics as well. Um, I think that um, it doesn't need to be that way. I I featured on the front page of a certain newspaper early in the year when I took annual leave uh, and went up to to Queensland um, with a friend and colleague, Lisa Neville. Um, Somebody hid in the bushes and took a photograph. Um, That happened at the same time that um, uh, the Yalon Power Plant had announced its seven-year notice period um at which point he put out some tweet you know saying i was a disgrace for sipping cocktails while people were losing their jobs um it's it's not only really disrespectful of colleagues who genuinely try to do the right thing it's cheap Mm. it's cheap politics and i think that i think tim's got an opportunity to be better than cheap politics um understand he's not in the country at the moment at least by way of the public reports that are circulating um i hope that you know i hope he does turn this into something that can be better than what caused it all in the first place mm.
0: the last uh, thing that sort of happened this year obviously which kind of dictated or dominated rather uh, the 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 media cycle certainly in the last couple of months was the pandemic legislation
1: what a time 20-odd uh, hours in the upper house that we'll never get back, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Plus and the weeks and weeks of procedural debate and discussions, yes.
0: Looking back on all of that, um, and it kind of sort of – the embers was sort of – I think it publicly ignited anyway with the, the protests out the front of the CFMU offices. Um, I'm sure it had been simmering away, you know, on the dark web or wherever, some you know those dark corners of the internet that I don't want really to give a shit about um for a while there but certainly came to our attention in the media um around the the the, the protests out the front of the CFMB offices on, on Elizabeth Street uh, and then it kind of kicked on from there mm. I didn't think it actually would sustain I kind of thought it would sort of fizzle out but it, it, it sort of kept going albeit still not a lot of people really when you think about it. you get the reminding yourself that hang on 94 percent of the Victorian population are being vaccinated and there's only a small group that haven't yet, the media kept elevating this small group to the um, front pages of the paper and on the six o'clock news. Like some of the student rallies that we got in my NUS days had more people at the rally than they did in the city. We didn't get the news coverage that they did. But anyway, yeah. um, I think the media's got to play a bit of a, um, should reflect on their own actions as well. But what are your reflections on that whole journey right through to then the pandemic bill? Did, did this response by a very, 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 very small section of the community um, um, reflects... um, ..did it deserve that kind of backlash, do you think, in terms of the legislation that you guys... ..that the government passed?
1: Well, I think when you read the legislation, uh, and I suspect that not many people have, that when you read the legislation and you read the 19-odd reports that have been tabled in the Parliament of Health Advice... Uh, and you look at the content of the 120 days that the Premier did of stand-ups um, in front of the media for unlimited periods of time, plus um, the additional um, uh, updates that the Health Minister provided alongside the um, the um, Chief Health Officer, the Deputy Health Officer, the Chief Commander, the, um, the Chief Psychiatrist, um, nurses, paramedics... Um, people who were at the front line in terms of law enforcement, there was so much information, there is so much information and there is so much information I think that um, perversely that created a bit of an opportunity for misinformation to take hold and when we look at coordinated programs and and um, and campaigns that have arisen particularly internationally, uh, there is a community which works really hard to... Create division and dissent, and to distribute misinformation um, through a variety of different channels, um, for a variety of different purposes. And you can see from the protests the the different sorts of flags and the different signs, and you know the people who were um, disgracefully um, uh, parading nooses at the front of Parliament. um, That they came from a number of different angles, and it was often hard to tell exactly what any individual group was asking for they were really critical um, mostly of the premier and of the the pandemic response of the lockdowns of the denial of you know of of personal rights and freedoms but um and vaccines of course Um, but what they actually wanted differed dramatically depending on 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 which part of those protests you were you know talking to and when when we think about fear and we think about misinformation and the way that that was galvanized um a lot of the recent protests have seen uh, people from a number of different migrant communities, um, people from um, Aboriginal First Nations communities, um, who have fears and concerns based in history and based in context and based in you know, geopolitical experience that, that they've had as communities who fled um, very um, oppressive political regimes. Um, again, that fear has been drawn out in this sort of lightning rod of misinformation, and that's where um, I think that it's been it's been incumbent upon people to actually do their best across party lines to um, correct that wherever possible, um, to facilitate the distribution of accurate information, to give people like um, Norman Swan or the Fauci's of the world um, an equal footing um, mm. to... Those people who want to, you know, who want to run a controversial um, post on Facebook with the premier depicted as, you know, as Hitler, um, I think media has to decide what it is going to do around um, journalism and the way in which it involves needing to understand and analyse a situation, and to do more than just reflect the noisiest and most destructive elements of any particular part of a debate and I think that's been a really it's been a really significant issue that I think has come to the fore for a lot of people it's turned a lot of people off discussion around the protests and and again I think that the legitimate concerns that people have that particularly around vaccine hesitancy particularly around misinformation these these are problems and concerns um, and fears that can in the main be addressed when they're the subject of a conversation between, say, a pharmacist or a GP or a, a teacher or, you know, um, or a member of the police force, to say what 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 is happening to me? What are my requirements around QR codes? What is this information being used for? Um, and to work through that methodically. But as far as news is concerned, that's a boring answer because it involves just doing the work and stepping it out. And I think that the problem that we increasingly have with the way in which um, current affairs are reported is that boring doesn't cut it mm. because boring doesn't make headlines, boring doesn't give you ratings, boring doesn't do anything except for address and correct misinformation on a case-by-case basis. And I think that's where um, we need to address what the what the real priorities are.
0: And then so you see, is it David Davis or uh, Bernie Finn or any of those guys then go out and actually give the the protesters airtime
1: well yeah in the name of in the name of freedom of of expression and this is where so craig ondachi referred to them as wonderful people david davis addressed them Uh, Catherine cummings addressed them on a number of occasions bernie finn has been out there um david limbrick from the from the liberal democrats um these you know again people come into politics and come to positions of um of elected responsibility for all sorts of different reasons Mm -hmm. Um, Fraser Anning and his, what, 19 primary votes came to it for a very different set of reasons to, um, to you know, Christina Canelli, for example. Um, I disagree passionately with what it is that they're doing. I will argue until the cows come home about why what they're saying is wrong and is damaging and is actually creating a ripple effect that they either don't know about or don't care about or are, in fact, very happy to see cause... Mayhem um, and damage across the board. Um, what I'm not happy about is that being done in the name of um, the the parliamentary system. And like I'm so old school in this regard. I you know I'm a I, I've got I'm a, I'm a hopeless romantic when it comes to the rule of law. I love the technical detail. I think that you've got a really enormous responsibility as an MP to understand the impact of what it is that you're saying um, and to not only meet people on their level, but to do the right thing around correcting misinformation. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's the measure of various MPs to see when that doesn't happen.
0: It's irresponsible. It just...
1: it's, it's flagrant. Yeah. It's, and again, yeah. um, you look not at what they're doing, but at why. Mm-hmm. And you can see very clearly that um, uh, certain quarters, um, particularly within coalition ranks, they don't aspire to government for any reason other than to do nothing or to dismantle... Mm-hmm progressive structures, decision-making, resources, funding um, or investment that are intended to either reduce inequality or to improve opportunity. It's about a free market for them, which is a do-whatever-you-want kind of situation.
0: Yeah, the the, the Liberal Party is so much like... um, I always think that uh, my beloved football team, Celtic, uh, the creative, romantic, cavalier football team that were founded out of uh, the reason of um, creating... um, Started by the Catholic Church in the East End of Glasgow to raise money to pay for um, feeding the poor and um, the starving uh, Irish Catholic population of the, of the East End of Glasgow, and then there's the Rangers Football Club of the establishment, who basically today exist to stop us from winning tr- championships. So, is this
1: like a Collingwood Melbourne football club? It, uh, right? Probably a little
0: bit, really. You know, and I think the Liberal Party today are like like they're like Rangers. They they, they exist because they want to stop us from Correct. creating change.
1: And when you look at that as a as a a binary system you can see that across the board communities do better under labour governments uh, that balance sheets are healthier under labour governments and that's a very inconvenient truth for those who love to talk about trickle-down economics and Mm. back in black and then you know um, and and i suppose strike a, a blow to the economic credentials of of labor this stuff doesn't stack up until you run a narrative repeatedly in media that runs unchallenged that says, in fact, Labor can't deliver these things. And the difficulty, I think, for the coalition here in Victoria um, at a state and federal level is when people look around, they can see that schools have been built and that level crossings have been removed and that hospitals are getting upgraded and, and all of this infrastructure that makes for a better life experience, it makes for better communities, it makes for better facilities, it makes for better support um, and, um, I suppose, uh, care in times where people need it most. And you don't get that under coalition governments. Um, and that's why I think that Victoria is a it's a great challenge for uh, for the Liberal Party that used to call this state the jewel in its crown. It's remarkable. It is remarkable.
0: And on that positive note, because <laughs> I want to end on a positive note. Yes uh harry Shin, thank you so much once again for coming for, on the show for our I traditional catch-up I, I love it um and, and but i need to do my homework uh my admin homework before we wrap up um and say thanks to uh first of all all of our guests that have come on the show in 2021 um we've i think we've done 50 shows this year uh, and we thank them for their time and their contribution uh thanks to our presenting sponsors dunn Street and morris blackburn lawyers Uh, Thank you to uh, our producer, Rebecca Connell, whom uh, without her, there is actually no podcast. Um, She books all the guests, researches all the topics, makes me sound vaguely smart, Uh, records, edits, publishes the episodes and then does all the social media promos. So um, Rebecca. Thank you. Uh, And lastly, to all of our loyal uh, listeners and subscribers to Social Democratic, both here in Australia and around the globe, thank you to each and every one of you uh, for supporting the show by listening, liking, retweeting, posting, and spreading the word amongst your network of other Social Democrats. And we want to wish you and your families a safe, healthy, happy and holy festivus um, as we look forward to seeing you all in our fourth season next year um, of Socially Democratic. We're going to take a week off next week and we're back um, in the first week of the new year. Um, Harriet Ching, Nolig La (laughs)
1: L'chaim. That's all I've got
0: that's good enough for me thank you peace out thank you for coming on once again
1: always a pleasure take care and have a wonderful and happy and connected um christmas and festive season and um yeah i would just urge everyone to to take care of each other and to be kind i think that's been the great strength that's come shining through um in spades over the last year and and i think we should hold on to that love it take care Mm -hmm.